I realize your guys' show is for the lore, which seems like it actually for the lore, and it almost <laughs> works. <laughs> You're listening to For the Lore, the podcast that delves into the craft of our favorite games, whether lore, gameplay, or game design. Joining Roger is Joe, writer from WoW Insider and World of Maticus, and Vince from Massive Nerd. Welcome to For the Lord, this is Roger coming to you on Sunday, the 31st of July. We are a couple of days late, of course, but unfortunately there was a death in my family, which uh, for which I had to go out of town for the funeral. And obviously, as is always the case, family comes first with us. So that said, we did not want to go an entire week without recording because there was so much awesome at Comic-Con that needs to be discussed. So it's just me and Vince tonight, unless Joe pops into um, Skype, which is possible partway through the show you may hear us bring him in otherwise it's just going to be the two of us and we can handle it just fine without him so how are you doing vince i'm doing fine he won't be missed yeah probably not um we had some awesome stuff at comic-con and it's funny because a lot of people think the comic-con now is just you know for comic books and yet there's so much more for comic at comic-con than just comics i there's a ton of stuff in terms of games at comic-con and i understand that it's about all kinds of creative media I'm not quite sure that I think it fits to put games there. I don't know what you think about that. It doesn't fit, let's say, you know, the the concept of the show, unless they're talking about, you know, the Spider-Man game or what have you. But, I mean, look at it. I mean, this is the audience that the game companies are, you know, trying to sell their games to anyway. So it makes sense from a business point of view. Like, hey, these are the people that we want to play our games, so we might as well... (laughs) have our game here to showcase to them instead of, you know, doing it entirely separately. It just feels to a certain degree that you get the impression some of them are taking it over. And it'd be the equivalent of, you know, freaking X-Men panel at E3 and them taking over. Because when you're looking at the Star Wars The Old Republic <laughs> panel, I mean, it was huge there. Not that the the actual comic book panels weren't either. And we discussed this on this week's Comic Book Informer. So if you are interested in that, make sure to download that as well. But I, I don't know. It's again, you, I, I love hearing more about games. It just doesn't seem to be the right place for it. Well, for years, Comic-Con has always been more than just comics. They've always had retro panels for stuff like Star Wars or, you know, Battlestar Galactica TV shows. So it's always branched out beyond just the comics for quite a while now. We're just just now we're really seeing a lot more companies making it a focus instead of just, you know, sending their B team out there with a couple screenshots. Yeah. And now there was a very, I don't know if I should bring it up now or bring it up later, because I'm going to see if I can even bring in Bill Roper to talk about this, because <laughs> he tweeted about this. And I asked him if he'd like to come on the show to to talk about this. And we're going to see if we can iron out an actual time where we could do it, because there's a stupid See, I'm going to have to find the actual interview. I don't have the names. I And you probably don't have it handy either, do you? Not, not available. <clears throat> 
Okay, I may have to cut this segment out while I look during the actual episode and then paste it at the end <laughs> because it warrants a discussion. What it was, without names, if I find the names while we're doing the show, then we'll go from there. Um, what it was is this stupid reporter was talking to someone who is quite obviously goes to all of the conventions and whatnot and was really trying to put down Comic-Con, how dare you, you know, have fun on something as frivolous as comics and whatnot when there are homeless people right across the street from you, considering how much you're spending on tickets and planes and everything else. Now, I will give credit to the woman being interviewed. She was awesome. She kept her head and just right back at her. Yeah, well, you know what? I actually, you know, donate my time every weekend for charities and things like that. And what I wanted to ask this interviewer was, so basically you're saying you never travel to third world countries. You never travel to, you know, Jamaica, Cuba, or any of those places where people have next to no money, but you go and you spend a small fortune. You, what kind of car do you drive? What do you, do you, you don't do anything. Do you actually ask the same thing of people who go to, you know, the masters or the super bowl, or would you dare ask any of those people to spend their money elsewhere? Tell them how they should spend their money. I was incensed. It pissed me off so much. It was unbelievable. And I'll make sure to link it in the show notes so folks can actually see the video i oh my god i was literally just mad i just wanted to wring her (laughs) neck and you you could almost tell that uh, the poor girl she's interviewing had no idea that some of this stuff was coming um i'm watching the video right here so the the uh the guest is uh by the name of victoria schmidt Uh, she does a lot of um you know cosplay and stuff at the various uh comic conventions so then she's uh Gosh, she was like a deer in the headlights at some point. Oh yeah, <laughs> and I don't, I don't have her full name, but the interviewer was uh, Christine something or other for RT America is the name of the uh, the network or whatever. Okay. Christine Frazau. There we go. I've actually got it, and I've got it playing right now for folks in the audience. Actually, not too many, but there you go. Yes, she. Oh man, absolute stupidity. I I cannot believe this. I oh. I, I I love the 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 the, the big you know title the headline they have at the bottom of the screen comic-con groupies escape reality and leave others to save dark economy wow man may as well have come (laughs) from freaking fox news unbelievable (laughs) just terrible once again this is what i kept thinking would you dare stand outside of you know, a, a Super Bowl game or a, an NBA finals or NFL or, or sorry, NHL, or even again, going back to do you, do you not travel out of the country? And the fact is, is that, you know what, you can say that if you travel out while well, you're, you're stimulating economy there, here's a woman that's saying, no, we're stimulating country uh, economy in our own country. And she's right. They bring a ton of money into San Diego every year for this and yet here's this woman trying to make her feel bad about how they spend choose to spend their money hold on i i just pulled up the you know their their, you know their bio on their youtube channel rt america broadcasts from studios in washington dc we report on the other side of the story not making any conclusions but raising the unanswered questions i picked up quite a few conclusions in this uh, interview oh 
I, oh, I hate this woman. Hater, hater, hater. So there you go. Anyways, let's move on to some actually news uh, news that we did get at Comic-Con as well. I think the biggest panel for me, of course, was Star Wars Zero Republic. I know we talked about it last week as well, but we got some new news with the panel that came out. Um, I can't remember what day that was. Before I think the- it was Thursday. Yeah, see, before the panel came up was when the pre-orders went on sale. (laughs) And it's funny because... I had been talking to Joe about this because Joe was going to be pre-ordering it as well. And we'd been, all the rumors were out about when it would be coming out, how much it would be. We'd gotten some information in terms of what could be expected in the collector's edition, which proved to be spot on, of course. And then there was the, um, the, all the, the leaked information from various game sites and and whatnot in terms of when it would come out and the the rumor was it was going to be coming out at 2 a.m central time was when the pre-orders were going to be coming out now i'd been following a thread on star wars the old republic stswtor.com and it was a thread about the collector's edition now i'm not again see i'm not a huge star wars nerd and by any stretch of the imagination, I don't even you say that know like it's a bad thing. I don't. That's the thing, too. I'm not <laughs> judging. I'm not. But what I'm saying is that I, I'm, I'm using that as a rationale here for, for what I'm saying, because a lot of people will say, oh, yeah, 150 bucks for the collector's edition, because that's how much it is, folks. 150 bucks. That's too much. You got to be some sort of fanboy to do that. Well, I'm not a fanboy. OK, I'm not a huge fanboy, but it is a game that I'm looking forward to playing, not just in and of itself, because I think it's going to be great, but also because I'm going to be playing it with my son. My son's actually far more of a fan than I am even. Anyway, so when I heard that it was going to be at 2 a.m. they were going on sale, I was like, forget about it. I'm not getting up for our time. That's 3 a.m. I'm not getting up. But I'm reading this thread, and there's a ton of people saying they're going to be up. They're going to order, and that's that. And the pan- the thread was growing faster than I could read it. It was unbelievable how many people were there were just adamant they were picking this up, regardless. And and basically, the, the, the what's jumping the cost up is that stupid freaking statue. You know what? Keep your stupid, weird little statue. I don't care about that shit. But again, a lot of people do. Anyway, so it did go up for sale. <laughs> <laughs> at 2 a.m. Now, I know this because this actually didn't happen last week, but it was the week before. And I my knee was still bothering me from the surgery. And I was sleeping on the sofa downstairs because it was the recliner. And I used the term sleeping as lightly as possible because I basically wasn't. And I happened to get up at 4.30. And you know what? You can't sleep because your knee is throbbing. Well, I said, well, I may as well check to see if it went on sale. And sure enough, it did. And so that's when I kind of placed an order or two. Uh, <laughs> there, there was, shh, my son might be listening. He doesn't know. So I picked up two copies. So I picked up a coffee for me and then I picked one up for himself. You realize he can still hear you. Even he, if can't, he, he can't. He can't. He's in the other room. He's watching okay. TV. So I picked up two copies. And Just he doesn't know. the podcast. He never does. He's not allowed. The, the language is too fucking bad. Oh. So, <laughs> so the plan is, is this is going to be our Christmas gifts because it's way too much money, but it'll be our Christmas gifts and he won't know. So he's, he's going to be just waking out over it I can't, it's driving me nuts not telling him i can't wait to tell him so anyways so i the problem was is that it was easy to order if you're in the states if you're anywhere else in the world forget about it it's going to be a pain in the ass um and i'm in canada of course so i'm i managed with um 
with uh, Amazon.com, non.ca, actually was shipping to Canada for that, which is unusual for them. So I ordered one through there. And then for Origins, uh, if you ordered through Origins, it had to be a U.S. address. So you could order it if you're outside of U.S. and get your code, but it had to be delivered to a U.S. address. So it's going to go to Joe. <laughs> and Joe's going to ship it over to me. <laughs> and judging by Eventually. how long it took, you know, yeah, I'll, I'll get it sometime <laughs> in June, you know, something. But the point is, is I did manage to score a couple copies. And then you had to register the keys as well. See, this is the thing that's happening as well now. You have to register mm-hmm. your freaking keys because they're doing a staggered release, which means that if you haven't done that yet, folks, you will want to because you may not be able to play on release day. And how stupid is that? I don't know about you. I know you ordered you ordered the digital deluxe, right? Yes. So because yeah. I was hard at work at seven o'clock in the morning at my job checking Twitter and said, "Oh, I should probably get yeah. on," because <laughs> especially when they started talking about you know the limited release and if you don't pre-order, you might not get it when it comes out. It's like, yeah. <laughs> well, that's why I also did it. But it, the, the thing too is limited release. What the hell? Limited release for a digital? Come on. Well, that's not right. Look at it this way. I have never seen demand for an MMO like I have for the older public, more than there was for Rift, more than there was for Ion, more than there even was for World of Warcraft when it first came out. That didn't really become a huge phenomenon that it is today until afterwards. Right now, out of the gates, the amount, the immense amount of, of, of people wanting to play the older public is, is staggering. I think they said there were up to almost 2 million beta applicants, and that's just the beta applicants. Well, the sales for this is as high as so far, they were saying. So, I mean, you really have to consider this. You're, you're, you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. They can either A, limit the amount of people who are going to be playing when it first comes out, or B, do like we see with so many other games and have it be completely freaking unplayable for weeks at a time possibly or C, they can actually pay for more servers so that it is playable on all of those this is ea they don't pay for shit yeah that's what they should be doing and that's why i think that the staggered release is a cheat because what they're saying is we want to make sure that it's the best possible playing solution where you're not going to have the lags or the problems with others and all that okay but at what cost at the cost of people who pay for it not being able to play it initially well, because they're doing this staggered release, what, which just means I've, that they save money. From what I understand um, from, I forget his exact name here, what is it, uh, Stephen Reed, uh, following his Twitter account, he has said everybody who pre-orders will begin playing the game at in the head start period. So if you pre-order, you are going to get into the game before launch. Now, some people will get in sooner in the head start than others based upon when they registered but if you pre-order you will be able to play the game at launch it's all the people who are kind of waiting they might have trouble getting their you know their boxed copies or whatever if they don't pre-order okay i'm still not cool with it but to me it's a cheap way of doing it pay for the servers but you know what i pre-ordered i don't give a fuck yeah basically same here (laughs) 
I'll be playing, folks. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I, I, I'll try to feel bad for you, but don't count on it. Yeah, I will be having so much fun because, dude, some of the shit that we've been seeing, <laughs> like the last one, the last video was made of win. We talked about it for how long? Let's now talk about the Comic-Con panel because this was awesome. We got Dallas Dickinson was the host. He's the director of production. And then we had James Olin, who is the game director and lead designer. Richard Vogel, who is executive producer, and Stephen Reed, who's the community manager. So the uh, Dallas was talking about initially the the new, uh, basically homage starting kind of thing. Um, every one of the classes is going to have its own starting, but not just its own starting. As they've said before, too, there will not be any duplicate missions per class. So once again, a lot of people, when you're looking at the game in terms of monetary value, you are getting tons of playthrough here. Um, if you are especially someone who likes playing alts, but even if you aren't and you play through to the end, there will be stuff for you to do. But I think that the 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 people who are going to be playing this game because of how much they're pushing the questing and the voice acting and, and, and those things, it is about people who enjoy story more than anything else in MMOs. You know what I mean? So I can see those being all the types of people who will have a ton of alts so that they can play through all of those different missions. And I don't know if this is maybe I, I just caught it, but it, it seemed like it was a little out of context. But when uh, the director was talking about, you know, after you spend a couple hundred hours leveling yeah. your Jedi Knight to level 50, then you can wait, 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 couple hundred. <laughs> Up until then, all I heard was a hundred hours. But even at a hundred hours, that's a ton. But no, when he said a couple of uh, a couple hundred. Yeah, my jaw dropped a little bit. That's too, two Dragon like, Age playthroughs. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, more if you actually finished. <laughs> if you're like Joe. <laughs> but the uh, first Dragon Age, not the second one. True. True. The, well, the good one. The dude, good one. even then, I put in 80 hours on Dragon Age. Um, I believe that's what it was. And that was two playthroughs. That was 80 I think hours, I, I, 80 I think plus my hours. first was pushing 60 or 70, but I was a lot better my second time through, so I knocked out on about 40, but still. Yeah. Still, we're talking a ton, and that's just for one character. Now, what kills me, too, is that, and again, this is where it's going to come into play for, especially for people who are alt players, where you do, it's more about the stories throughout, not just, you know, getting the absolute best gear for one character through to the end. Uh, but... Because of how you're playing your character, even even if it is you choose to try another Jedi Knight, yeah, you then have the choice of playing one the light side and one the dark side and experiencing the game differently. It's not going to be different missions necessarily because you're going to have the same missions and whatnot, but the outcomes are going to be different. The way you treat it is going to be different. There's going to be a lot of differences throughout because of the choices that you make. We don't have to look any further than... Uh, again, Dragon Age or Mass Effect to know how big an impact different choices have on their types of RPGs. And that's what we're going to be seeing here. So theoretically, eight character classes, two playthroughs per class. That's 16 playthroughs at <laughs> average 200 hours each. 
We'll see you yeah. in 2015. <laughs> By then, they'll have new patches. 2025, as they claim. <laughs> yeah, and that's not even taking into consideration any kind of questing that you can do with your companions as well. If you'd like to see different outcomes in terms of how you treat your companions, there's so many different possibilities for this game that it's going to be mind-boggling how often you can play it and experience something different than somebody else who's doing the same character and everything, and yet they're experiencing something different than you case in point as well too if you are a solo player versus somebody who's playing in a group one of my characters is going to be a character that i intend to play with my son and only with my son so we're always going to be doing things together and that's going to have a huge impact in where the story goes because we've seen that as well they demonstrated it a lot during this this panel where choices that are being made while you're in your group it's going to be a roll of the dice in terms of who gets to which option gets chosen and I like that because it's going to be a little bit different when you're playing in a group with people that you don't know but if you're with a group that you're that you know good buddies or in my case playing with my son I like that I'm not going to have to that I'm not going to tell him like okay choose this because I want to see this or whatever Mm -hmm. it's going to be let's just see where the story takes us and let everybody decide how they would decide which apparently is a lot of dark options (laughs) (laughs) people want to see other people killed but uh, but it's going to be just because they choose to do something the dark side and you would choose the light doesn't mean they're going to get their way and I love that and I really like the confirmation of, let's say you're in that multiplayer setting and, you know, you pick the evil yeah. choice, the dark side choice. I pick the light side choice. If the dark side choice gets chosen, that doesn't mean my particular character is going to get the dark side points for that decision because I had the intent of doing, you know, the noble thing. My character still gets rewarded the light side points, even though the story plays out from the dark side perspective. And that's huge. That's huge. When they first talked about that, I thought, oh, Okay, you guys are cheating a little bit, but then he explained, <laughs> it's true, but, but then he explained that it's because they don't want people not grouping up for fear of their light or dark points being affected. And that's very true. Once again, having played Mass Effect 2 especially, where I kept such a close eye on whether I was renegade or not, and I wanted my renegade points and they meant so much to me, to the point of, you know, if something didn't give them to me or not enough of them, I sometimes played back again <laughs> yeah. from an earlier some save. Of those, some of those neutral decisions gave you Paragon points. I yeah. hated that. No, that ain't going to happen. Not on my watch. <laughs> and so that's what they're doing here. So I like that. And then when they, they rationalize it and tell you, it is because you you yourself did make a choice. It's not the choice that was chosen, but you had a certain intent. And so it, it, it does work in it. Mm-hmm. Okay, moving on from there, what else did we see here? They were talking about the the voicing for it, which over 900 actors for this. For oh English. God, that's <laughs> insane. Um, and then they actually talked to several of the voice actors. They showed them. They introduced a new companion, uh, Nadia, who is for the Jedi Consular and who is an option to romance the character as well. It was very, very cool. And, and uh, it, there are clips that are worth watching. And then we got um, what else they talked about then the big three for them, which are your exploration, your progression and your combat. You want to tackle exploration? Uh, exploration. Uh, they're talking about all the planets that they have out there. I think they said, um, was it 19 full planets? I think they said the, yeah. the large planets. And then 
lots of just smaller planets, you know, moons, what have you. So there's definitely going to be a ton to, to go see in this game. And you're going to ride in style. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> I loved when they showed the interior of the ship. And I for me, that's such a cool aspect of, you know, the game, seeing the interior. It, you so many games they talk about personal housing and whatnot well we're finally getting a game that's giving us that a place where we have our own personal space where you know we hang out with our companions where you know that's one of the things i hate to bring up you know this name but final fantasy 11 final fantasy 11 seven eight years ago gave each player their own personal space that they could customize as they wanted and that was just a great little touch for the game so I mean, I, I can't really think of any other game in between then and now who has really done that. So I'm really happy to see that. I like that we're going to be able to go on each other's ships as well. So, yes. And, and again, it goes back to Mass Effect 2. And, and a lot of it is going to keep going back to Mass Effect 2 because, again, it's Bioware. And I enjoyed spending time on my ship. I enjoyed spending mm -hmm. time on the Normandy. The Normandy meant a ton when you saw it rebuilt in Mass Effect 2. Like, shivers up your spine when you walk on board it again after it had been destroyed. And then when you spend all your time on it, when you are discussing things with all of your crew members and things like that, the ship takes on a very big role in the game. And I'm hoping that that's going to be the same thing with this. And like we saw that the travel is going to be very similar to Mass Effect, where you plot out your... your, your your course whatnot um, in very Mass Effect 2-ish kind of way and then you it may lead to combat and things like that while you're out but I loved everything about the the movement between the planets with the ship and when you're looking at the planets themselves I loved how when he was talking about the planets saying okay this is not like the planets when you go somewhere in Mass Effect 2 and it's more limited in terms of how big it is like he was talking about I think it was Tatooine saying that if yeah. you ran, you didn't know for for sure, but he was saying like he figured it would be something like 900 or sorry, a half hour to yeah. actually run around Tatooine. So there's a ton there. Yeah. And, and but then the when they're showing off all the different speeders and stuff. That was oh, freaking cool. And the, awesome. one, the one thing I loved is that they, they showed, you know, let's call it the epic mount of the game. Yeah. You, know, you don't get a hover bike or whatever. You get a full land speeder like Luke had on Tatooine. And, and the coolest thing about this is, OK, you know, the, the movies are set 3000 years in the future. I love how they gave the speeders kind of that retro design, like the old 50s style cars. Like they had the fins and the big grills and stuff. It's just one of those little touches that I went. That's freaking cool. <laughs> yeah, it was. I love that. And then they moved on to progression, where they were talking about the hundreds of different powers and abilities and armors. There's going to be a ton of stuff that you can do. They had a video for the visuals as well in terms of what you can expect from your, your abilities. Um, we've recently seen some more stuff, too, which we're going to actually talk about on next week's episode, where there was yet another video that was released. Where It's not going to be the become the Star Wars The Old Republic podcast, um, at least not yet. <laughs> but there for are the there, there's so much stuff that just has to be discussed. <laughs> but we we've been getting to see a lot more combat and what we can expect. And yeah, it's just absolutely awesome. So then moving on to combat, I'll let you take that one. Um, companions are going to be such a huge part of combat in the Old Republic. I mean, I, we've seen them, you know, them helping out, but. What was really important to me was when they said they're going to have the full programmable AI like we've seen in the Dragon Age games. And that's that's really cool to me. Like I've spent 
I don't even want to admit how much time I've spent in my menus in Dragon Age programming my AI teammates, trying to get everything to work just perfectly. So it's it's so cool that, you know, these characters that they're they're your companions you know they're not they're not your minions they're not your you know your squad mates they they're actually there for your character and you can have so much control over you know what they do in combat and then out of combat like we saw with the the customization stuff this is what i was thinking about that because exactly like you said but i think about how much time i spent as well on characters in dragon age and in mass effect especially mass effect how much mass effect 2 how much time i spent on those characters and how important they are to your story which is i mean immensely important but that's a standalone rpg so now instead of you know being able to just change the color of their armor like in mass effect 2 you can change their armor and their weapons you can change their appearance even you can spend a lot of time with them and i think that's because they basically exponentially ramped up companions from you know rpg companions to mmo companions and it's funny because i look at the again even if even if that 200 hours was a gross exaggeration i can still look at how much time i will spend on my companions over the course of all the time that i play the game whether it is you know specking them or seeing what's best to play with me or to see what's going to be the best in groups like when i'm playing my character that i'm going to play be playing with my son and then whenever weapons drop what am i going to put on them whenever there's armor and all these things now the companions are going to mean so much more and i i absolutely love that and it's great to know that you know when you walk into most Isley, you're not going to see 500 identical twi'leks they're, they're all going to be unique yeah yeah, it's they're from what we're seeing so far, they're doing it right. It's it's going to be very very interesting to see just how much you could do. I am as much as I'm looking forward to it from a solo standpoint. I am more looking forward to it when I'm going to be playing with my son again because he's going to have to do the same as I so that we're both making sure that our companions or at least some of them are specced in such a way that they can support our group but i'm looking forward to it in terms of whenever i'm going to be playing with you guys as well so that i don't know what you're bringing to the table and it'll be fun to see which of your companions is the one that means the most to you that you've established as someone that you want to go questing and then what have you done with them it's going to add a whole layer of depth yeah and one thing they didn't mention in this panel but i i did read somewhere else that they did say because we were talking on the last episode about how you could actually kill off your companions they've decided no longer to make that an option because they don't want to screw you years down the line oh well that sucks that sucks bioware shame on you okay <laughs> okay. From there, they led into a Q and A, which um, which did have some good questions. Again, they talked about the voice acting and found out that there was 900 actors and actresses, and still growing in the English version of the game. Um, what else did we have? We had how will your individual class story play out when you're in groups, which they made sure to tell us time and time again. 
groups can't affect your personal class story quests. All the decisions that you make for those are going to be yours and yours only to make. It's going to be interesting when we are grouping with other people because then we may get to see quests and missions that we wouldn't otherwise get to see because they're part of another class. We won't be able to impact how the decisions are made, but at least we'll be able to be a part of it. You know what I mean? That'd be fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It, it, just anything that'll, that'll get you, you know, more interested in what's going on. Yeah. Uh, in group play, they were talking about the light and dark points, which you mentioned before in terms of uh, whatever you decide is what's going to happen. Um, the design of the armor, they were talking about um, if the movies influence the armor and whatnot. And I like how they were talking about they could have chosen a medieval feel to the game in terms of the appearance of the costumes and whatnot. But they were afraid that that would actually alienate some of their their audience. So they chose to stick with what's there. And I especially like their, their how they were saying that in fantasy technology never changes so it doesn't matter they they have this this free to do whatever free pass to do whatever they want yeah that, that was a great line when they say star wars isn't sci-fi star wars is space fantasy and there's really no better description you can give than that yeah uh, they talked about the aesthetics of the armor again going in terms of the style this interested me because i they're not doing it and i wish they were doing it one of the few things that dc universe online does so well is that it lets you define what piece of armor you want to wear as well as what you want it to look like so if you pick up a tier one piece and a tier two piece you equip them both so they get added as styles to your your character that you can then select from so you could be wearing a tier two piece of a certain piece of armor but decide that you prefer the look of the tier one and so assign the look of the tier one to it and then also just plain styles drop in the game at different places as well there's no armor attached to it it's just a style that you can attach to whatever you're wearing and unfortunately they're not going to be doing that if it if a higher tier piece drops and you don't equip it you stick with what the other one is well you're not going to get the stats of the higher equipped uh, the higher item you have to wear it to be able to get those stats so i thought that was a little disappointing i like how they said that they're going to keep Keep it so that, you know, the armor cl class armor is fluid. You're always going to look like, say, a trooper if trooper if you're wearing trooper armor. Um, and they were saying as well that set bonuses are important you're, and they're trying to encourage you to wear them. But it, it still does disappoint me that you're not going to have the choice that that you have like in DC Universe Online. Yeah, especially when pretty much every other MMO out, you know, currently coming out has that feature involved. So, I mean, I, it doesn't make that big of a deal to me personally, but yeah, it's it's something that a lot of people would like to see in the game. Yeah. So again, of course, they had to talk about endgame content and what you can expect. And they were talking about the raids as well. Obviously, they were talking about solo content. Now, what I liked, however, is when they talked about at level 50, there is going to be a world devoted just to solo playing level 50 characters. Well, that's awesome. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. So you're looking again at your operations, your raid stuff, your your war zones. You're going to have flashpoints, which are going to be group quests, which remind me very much of stuff that you're seeing in DC Universe Online right now when you're doing your duos and your, your group quests and whatnot. Um, they're talking again about the, the polish level on worlds and just how much development was um, was 
for each of the worlds and things like that. And then they were talking about um, how the teams are assigned, which really, who cares? They're, they're teams that work on various, um, various like, worlds or, or questing or whatever kind of thing. Um, they did talk about the impact the Star Wars Galaxies had on them in terms of <laughs> any kind of pressure they may be feeling tackling such a huge iconic IP when so far history has dictated that you know the game might be crap when it comes out and I think they handled it in style also saying that you know what it's a Bioware game yeah and, and it's just you can see the looks on their faces when the question was answered like oh god Star Wars Galaxies <laughs> yeah it's true though it's that's and that may be holding back a lot of people. Now, granted, it's I, obviously. I have personally spoken to a lot of people who are disinterested in this game because Star Wars Galaxies was so bad. Yeah, yeah. Well, the thing is, is then, again, if you're really not a fanboy or fangirl and you know the history of the IP with some of the other games, you're really going to be leery. And the only thing, well, I shouldn't say the only thing, but the main thing that has kept my interest all this time is because I know it's a Bioware game. That There's a lot of faith there. And then, of course, of course, Knights of the Old Republic, and knowing that, the strength of that, what they did with that IP. Um, so I know that they're going to do good here. But if it was anybody else, I would not have pre-ordered. <laughs> I would be waiting. <laughs> okay, they talked as well about ship travel and whether or not there's going to be fast travel. They decided that it's going to be instantaneous because they had talked about taking more time with the travel, but no, it's going to, they're just doing it instantaneous right now. Unless if you're ship traveling, again, there's a possibility of combat between the planets and whatnot, which I like that. It's going to add a certain amount of diversity to your play so that you're not just bouncing around. If you're meeting someone on Tatooine, you might get stopped along the way and be a little bit delayed. You can't just click the button and go take a leak. Yeah, basically, yeah. <laughs> Put it on cruise. Uh, they talked to the actresses as well, which was interesting, though certainly not, you know, not much that we didn't know. The, the actresses were given scripts, but they were basically just given their lines and told how they should deliver them because of all the NDAs and crap kind of going on. Uh, they did the mandatory how'd you get into games bullshit, which was just, eh, whatever. And then they talked about PvP and how they, um, what they can expect and how it's going to be accessible for basically the noobs as well as anybody who's got more experience. Yeah, so look, lots to look forward to. There is, there is. There is going to be beta testing starting probably in September for the weekends, which hints to a probably early holiday season release. Yeah, I'm, I'm hearing a lot of end of October. Yeah, dude, that would be so awesome. Oh, yeah. <laughs> even if I don't get into the beta, I'd be all right with that. So in terms of other collectible or collector's editions that were announced, Batman Arkham City Collectors was also <laughs> announced. Now, this one also has a pretty little statue, like apparently all freaking collectors are now going to have. I'm not into statues. Granted, I would trade my Star Wars statue for, for this Batman statue <laughs> any day of the week and toys on Sundays. It just looks freaking awesome. It's Batman. You'd have to try not to make it look awesome. <laughs> So I'll let you take over here what's in there. <laughs> All right. So what we're getting in the uh, the collector's edition here is, as we said, the Batman statue. And not just any Batman statue. It's a Kotobayuka statue. And uh, they make some of the best comic character statues on the market today. So you're not just getting some piece of junk. It's it's a solid piece. Uh, you're getting a cool little art book 
uh, early access to the Iceberg Lounge Challenge map and Batman the Dark Knight Returns character skin. Uh, you got Batman the Arkham City album. Uh, so it's going to be uh, original songs by popular artists. So your mileage may vary there. Yeah. And that one's not going to be packaged in. You're just going to get a digital code to download that. You get the Batman Gotham Knight uh, animated movie, which... Eh, I wasn't a big fan of that one. And then uh, four collectible cards. So I know you're excited just for the, the cards. I Dude, I would be. But you know what? I'm not buying the collector's edition for this. because Sure, you're not. No, in all honesty, I'm actually, I'm not. No, no really. No, I'm serious. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> in this case, I am actually not buying it. It's not enough to warrant the extra money, in my opinion. I mean, I'm going to be able to get it on Steam or whatever for a fraction of $99. And... The statue statues just don't cut it for me. Yeah. I mean, I mean, yes, I can appreciate the beauty of this one, and it is justifiably very cool. But for my extra ninety nine, I w there's a lot of other things that I would prefer over a statue, and and I would also prefer a ton more digital content because that's how a lot of people are buying their games now, and I think that we need to see a lot more digital content with the collector's editions. Yeah, I think between this and the Old Republic. They the, the companies need to learn the lesson from Halo Reach. Halo Reach actually had three different editions. It had the standard edition. It had the collector's edition. And then it had a separate edition with the statue. So for people who didn't want that huge extra expenditure that a statue does include in the price tag could still get all the bonuses of the collector's edition without the big price tag. Yeah, yeah I agree. I, I just I really... When the the Old Republic was out for the pre-order, and again, you had the choice of the collectors or the digital collectors, um, the main reason why I did not go with the, he's still there, <laughs> the, the, the digital, <laughs> is because there were a few things missing. Stupid vendor. <laughs> I want to see what that vendor's selling. <laughs> I hope he sells crap. <laughs> you know what? They've actually said that that vendor is not going to sell anything that's going to be game breaking to make you overly powerful, but just in terms of selling stuff so that you will look different than everybody else. That's kind of awesome. Because in a game where in five, ten years, people won't even remember what was sold with the collector's edition, and they're going to say, how come yours looks different than mine? How can I do that? And you go, you can't. See that vendor over there? Oh, no, you can't access him because only I can. You see people running around with their mini Diablos and you always Dude, get those questions. I still get asked every single time I bring out either my Panda, my mini Diablo or my Zerg. I still get asked, where'd you get that? And it's like freaking collector's edition from the vanilla version of the game. You ain't going <laughs> to find it, buddy. Sorry. And that's one of the things that I was thinking about. I know it sounds stupid, but it is. It's true. And then everything else, of course, with the digital is I, I love that stuff. You, I'm probably going to put the freaking statue on eBay. Come on. Also going back to Star Wars again, we got another release and it was pretty awesome if you don't already own a 360. And that was, of course, the Star Wars version that it, of the, the 360 that they uh, are going to be putting out wherein the actual 360 looks like R2-D2 and the controller like C-3PO. This is freaking awesome and looked amazing. The system looks amazing. I, I could do without the... Uh the gold-plated controller. Are you kidding? With the little wires on the bottom? 
I, I can just imagine the amount of finger crud that thing is going to accumulate. Ah, I'll be wiping it off every 10 minutes. I don't care. Nothing that a little spit polish can't fix up in the bottom of your shirt. It looked awesome. It also comes with a, a connect, a white connect, and which actually looked kind of nice, as well as a connect version of Star Wars. I can live without that. Yeah, we were unimpressed with that at E3. <laughs> yeah, and then it's a 300 gigabyte, 320 gigabyte hard drive on that sucker. And yeah. uh, I love that printed on the CD tray is help me obi-wan kenobi you're my only hope (laughs) (laughs) so it's it's awesome but friggin expensive 450 bucks granted for that you are getting a 360 as well as the connect as well as a crap ass game well how much is it right now for the 250 gigabyte connect bundle i think it's like almost 400 for that alone i don't know i'm not sure so i mean throw throw a 50 buck price tag on top for the special edition i mean it it's the the price seems right for the value at least if you don't have one already yeah it, it no if if i didn't already have I one i know plenty of people who have bought special edition xboxes and traded in their old ones <laughs> it would be worth it for this one honestly dude it's kind of freaking awesome and again i'm not a fanboy for star wars and i looked at this and went oh I want. <laughs> okay, with that, we're going to take a, uh, a five-minute break, and we're going to come back. We do have a few other things that we want to touch on, including one of my favorite upcoming games, Diablo 3. My name is Joe, and I am from For the Lore. Today, we will be talking about Warhammer 40K Kill Team from THQ. This is a third-person arcade shooter style where players take on the role of an elite space marine team sent to assault an orc cruiser en route to an imperial forge world. The player's goal? To take out the war boss and prevent the WOG. Kill Team allows players to choose from four unique classes, including range specialists like the Sternguard veteran and tech marine, and more melee-focused classes like the Vanguard veteran and librarian. It has two-player, same-screen cooperative play, multiple weapon upgrades, and six iconic Space Marine chapters to select from. Kill Team takes place in the events before the upcoming game, Space Marine. Players are sent to take out the giant ore cruiser, a massive transport, which is a mishmash of parts from other Space Marine vessels, that resembles a giant war city, before it can reach the Imperial Forge World. The Forge World is a place where not only the massive items of war are made, like armor, ships, and titans, but also a place where all the items created are used to settle on a planet and create hives and items for humanity to live as well. Players fight their way through ways of orcs in order to accomplish specific goals, like taking out the chemical generators, all the way up to taking out the war boss themselves. The game stays true to the mythos of the 40k universe. Space marines are the pinnacle of human biological engineering and the ultimate weapon in the grim future. A small group of them can easily sway any conflict, and in this game it shows. The classes also stay true to the game itself. The librarian can dish out massive melee damage and has a special ability that synced the ability to bend the warp to his desire. Think of like a sorcerer, but with a really cool set of armor, a bolt gun, and a giant friggin' sword. The Heavy is a ranged specialist that can dish out amazing damage with their pack-fed ammo weaponry. Basically, they have a giant backpack on them with a line that goes right into the gun and allows them to deal incredible damage. The Vanguard veteran is a force to be reckoned with in melee, and few can stand to the furious swipes that he will rain upon them. And the Tech Marine devastates at long range. He even has his tech arm to help him along the way. Each class has a different strengths and special abilities, and each one is very fun to play. 
The controls are very simple and well done. Players move with the left joystick and can aim to fire with the right, meaning you can move and fire in any direction. So this is a two-joystick third-person shooter. A single button for melee attacks and one button for your special attacks, and you're pretty much set to wreak havoc in this game. The graphics of the game are really well done. Everything from the heraldry of the different space marine clans to the war paint of the orcs is vibrant and lively. The environments are really well done and really come across as if they were really created by orcs from the game themselves. Barrels, scraps of metal, basically tons of everything that they could find mashed together. Forget the power of technology and science, for so much has been forgotten, never to be relearned. Forget the promise of progress and understanding, for in the grim, dark future there is only war. There is no peace amongst the stars, only an eternity of carnage and slaughter and the laughter of thirsting gods. Warhammer 40k Kill Team is an all-out battle between the scum of the universe and the few that can defend humanity. And war, in this game, is very fun. The game is well worth the money, and if you like shooters, are a fan of the 40k universe, or just looking for a fun game to pass the time, it will run you $10 or 800 Microsoft points on Xbox Live Arcade. Also, developers at THQ have said that this is the first steps in something bigger. You can see the groundwork laid in this game could easily be built upon, not only in the upcoming Space Marine game, but perhaps another multiplayer shooter for us as well. All right, and we are back. Another game that we're very excited for, at least I know that I am actually, is Spider-Man Edge of Time. Um, Shattered Dimension was pretty awesome in terms of the gameplay and whatnot, but what we've been hearing of Edge of Time is that they're actually going to, the gameplay is going to be even that much more awesome than Shattered Dimensions was. Well, I personally, I'm a little upset to see the uh, Spider-Man Noir gone because I those were probably my favorite gameplay aspects of the game, but playing as the 2099 Spider-Man was a close second. So it's cool that in this game, uh, it's a crossover between the amazing Spider-Man and Spider-Man 2099. And we've seen little bits here and there in other trailers, but finally the latest trailer we saw at Comic-Con, it's starting to make a little bit of sense because we uh, heard Spider-Man 2099, Miguel O'Hara is talking about um, how there was a threat that he could not beat because Peter Parker wasn't around anymore. He needed Peter Parker's help. Meanwhile, Peter Parker is, you know, under a threat of something in his own timeline. So what we're seeing here is the two Spider-Mans are actually switching places. We're seeing Peter Parker, the amazing Spider-Man in the 2099 universe and vice versa. Miguel O'Hara in the amazing Spider-Man universe. And that's a cool twist that I really was not expecting in this game. We see things like, uh, Pete uh, dealing with the black cat version in 2099 and uh, otherwise uh, Miguel has to rescue MJ as she's falling down an elevator shaft. So it seems like it's going to be this really cool switch between the two that I'm now very interested in before it was like, okay, cool. I really liked spider shattered dimensions. I'll check this one out. But now with what we've seen here at Comic-Con, it's gone up a couple notches in my book. Well, not just that, but what I'm really digging is that it's going to be a multidimensional type of play wherein you're watching what you're doing in your timeline and at the same time seeing how it is affecting the other timeline. So you're not just playing your little, you know, action adventure, only worrying about what's happening in front of you. But now you're having to think about how choices that you're making are going to affect the other timeline. And I think that's pretty awesome. 
I'm very impressed as I've seen here. I wasn't expecting something of that caliber out of this game. I was expecting it to be good, but not quite that good. Okay, sticking with Marvel, we've also got multiple the Ultimate Marvel versus Capcom three. I don't know if that's on your radar. Uh I wish it weren't. <laughs> I, I picked up Marvel versus Capcom three when it came out back in February. Loved it, had a whole lot of fun, but I quickly reached a plateau in my skill level where it was going to require practice to keep playing the game, you know, the way I wanted to. And well, once I have to spend time practicing a game before I could spend time playing a game, I just kind of grew away from it. But it, it's a blast, uh, really cool fighting game, just absolute insanity going on on the screen. So it was really cool. But, you know, also the characters involved. So what we're seeing here is uh, they've announced Ultimate Marvel versus Capcom 3, where in typical Capcom fashion, they're releasing a update to their fighting game as a full retail release, which is nothing new for Capcom. Uh, in this version, we're getting all new moves for characters, uh, complete rebalancing. Um seen a lot of the the things that they're changing and it's some pretty cool changes uh characters like ryu who are kind of a joke right now and hey that's one of capcom's big guys really seems like he's gotten a huge buff uh they've finally added a spectator mode in online which is huge and of course 12 new characters now they officially announced four of them from the capcom side uh strider and Firebrand, the little demon dude from Ghosts and Goblins. And then on the Marvel side, Ghost Rider and Hawkeye, which, phew, if you haven't seen the videos, Ghost Rider is an absolute beast. And did you look at any of the videos, Raj? Actually, no, I haven't. Okay, Hawkeye has the coolest hyper combo I've ever seen in my life. He actually fires an arrow at you with Hank Pym riding on it. <laughs> and then Hank Pym grows, grows to giant size and stomps on you. That is awesome. <laughs> Uh, but unfortunately, Capcom kind of fails at web design and accidentally leaked out the entire rest of the roster that they're adding. <laughs> On the Capcom side, uh, Nemesis from uh, the Resident Evil series, Frank West from Dead Rising, Virgil from Devil May Cry, and a character I, I asked. Phoenix Wright in a fighting game. <laughs> Cannot wait. And just for those that are wondering, Capcom has confirmed that, yes, this list is correct. So this isn't just a, a, a rumor. Capcom said, yes, uh, we didn't want to announce it already, but it, there it is. And then on the Marvel side of things, we're also getting Doctor Strange. Really cool. Iron Fist, who was one of the ones I really wanted to see in the, in the initial release. Nova from the Guardians of the Galaxy and also from oh, the Guardians of the Galaxy. Rocket Raccoon. I cannot wait to see. You know what? what we're going to be seeing Rocket Raccoon versus Phoenix Wright videos now. Absolutely. But the one thing that a lot of fans are looking at this and going, hmm, something is not right here. There's no Mega Man and a game called Marvel versus Capcom and Mega Man has literally been the poster boy for Capcom for the last 25 years. He's not in the game. People were upset he wasn't in the initial release, but they're like, oh, Mega, the Mega Man franchise has representation between Zero and Tron Bone. But like, yeah, but where's the Mega Man? So now that you know, we have this new roster and there's still no Mega Man, fans are freaking out and that kind of leads into the next topic we have here about Mega Man Legends 3, which is a game a lot of Mega Man fans were really looking forward to. Well, they can now stop looking forward to it because it has been canceled. And oh, man, the absolute <laughs> nerd rage involved here. Did you read some of these uh, these Twitter conversations Capcom is having? No, I haven't. Oh, man. <laughs> Capcom's even worse at Twitter than they are at web design. <laughs> 
All right. After the game was canceled, uh, the Capcom Euro account said it's a shame the fans didn't want to get more involved. If we saw there was an audience for Mega Man Legends 3, people might have changed their or people might have changed their minds because as part of the development cycle for Mega Man Legends 3, they had what was called a dev room. Uh, basically, when they were trying to make decisions on the design of the game, they publicly posted on the forums and let the fans decide how the development of the game was going to carry forward. But apparently there was not enough fan involvement there, so they decided to scrap the game altogether. Well, that backhanded, passive-aggressive, <laughs> you know, that was really not a good way to say things, so that got the fans really riled up. Uh, one guy says, hey, just wanted to tweet out that I'm going to boycott your crappy-ass company from now on. Have fun failing with your DMC. Well, I can't really argue that point, but Capcom Euro's response, thanks for your feedback. <laughs> When another fan sees this response, they go, hmm, you're pretty bad at PR. No, just saying, little tip. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> and fans go on to, to complain about, hey, you wanted us to design the game for you. You know, who's really making the game? You're just going to make all the money and let us do all the hard work. They kind of hinted that they were planning on giving the fans a cut of the money because they helped to develop the game. I mean, it's this whole entire oh clusterfuck has, has reached such absurd, you know, levels. It's like, what is going on over at Capcom? And I, I personally really have to wonder how much of this is due to Keiji Inafune leaving the company. Keiji Inafune created Mega Man. So when he left Capcom, that was a huge, huge deal. And he's really come out speaking not kindly about the entire Japanese games industry right now. And it's a point I've seen echoed by several other Japanese developers that Japan really needs to step up their game. A lot of the big creativity in games development right now is coming out of the West, out of Europe, out of Canada, out of America. And I, I think a lot of these decisions is kind of Capcom pulling that old Nintendo heavyweight thing of we don't like you, so we're just going to leave you out of everything that has to do with our company. Hmm. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. Uh, the note to a, a forum thread is in the show notes there, and it's it's some hilarious reading. Yeah, no doubt. Okay, moving away from that, let's touch on one title quickly and then move on to the big news that I wanted to talk on about. Uh, there's a new game that's going to be coming out, and Joe's the one that actually spotted this one. It's called Curse of the Crusade. It's an Atlas game. It's going to be a third-person action-adventure game. What I find interesting, though, is that it's a different twist on the typical Crusade story that mm -hmm. we've seen so much of. And to me, that's actually probably one of the biggest selling points, because I love that they're taking something that we already you know we know we've read a lot of we've played games that play through it but hey how about we take this completely different spin on it and have a little bit of fun with it i'll let you take care of that talking about it i'm just going to get the video playing here yeah how uh, we see the main character here in this game i don't think i caught his name basically his father was a templar in one of the early crusades and his father went missing so he joins up with uh, i think they said this is the third crusade and you know takes the voyage to the holy land to try and find his father and he joins up with the templars well the templars are the biggest badasses of the pope's army and in, in in the crusades so you know they're they're the holy warriors they're the ideal that you know everybody is held up to as you know these pious knights Except we're in this game where we get that that twist you were talking about, how they're actually cursed. They've sold their souls to the devil 
so that they can, you know, fight for what they believe is right in life and that they're 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 selling, you know, their afterlife for this. And it's such a cool twist how what we're seeing this. This main character isn't quite up with the program. He just kind of joined along to find his father. So now he's trying to find a way to really cure himself of the curse. And it it is a really cool twist. And it's something I'm interested in. Yeah, it is. It's a lot of fun. I love stories from that period. Obviously, it's a it's a very iconic period in time as well. So it's going to be very interesting to see this just because of, again, that different twist on it. And and it's an Atlas game. So it again, I'm, I'm interested to see just how good it's going to come out. The play, the actual playthrough from what we see, the, what little we do see in the, in the video looks like it's going to be solid. Yeah, that's such a cool thing because we see so much through you know the various fantasy games, gameplay from the this this era. You know, you get the nice knights with their swords, and no, what they're really capturing here is just how brutal, you know, combat was in the Middle Ages with these giant swords and shields and these huge heavy suits of armor. It wasn't flashy. It wasn't you know acrobatic. These guys are just getting beat the hell up. <laughs> I really like that. Yeah. Another game, of course, that we are really looking forward to that we've talked about a lot is Kingdoms of Amalur, and that's Reckoning. That game was originally announced for 2012, and Todd McFarlane let slip that it is going to be coming out in February. That's pretty cool, because I was actually expecting it was going to be later than that. Oh, I was expecting much later, you know, late summer, early fall, maybe even a full holiday release. But from what we saw at this game at E3, it looks like it's pretty close to done, and... Now we're seeing it might be a lot closer to done than we thought. Yeah. And the thing is, too, is that by coming out in February, by then we'll have gotten several months, maybe as much as, you know, four or five months of the Old Republic. Perhaps if it is coming out at the end of October, that's, you know, that's going to give us a good three months there to play. I shouldn't say four or five, sorry, three, three or four um, at, at best. We're going to be ready for a standalone RPG, something to play mm-hmm. just by ourselves and have fun. And this is that game. And I'm. it's funny because most games I look forward to, like RPGs, to playing them on the PC. And this, from what I've seen and the playthrough, I'm actually really, really looking forward to playing it on my 360 on the big screen. It's almost as if they had really intended it to come out this year, but just wanted to get the hell out of the way of Skyrim, <laughs> which yeah. I can't blame them for. Well, Although it's it's... It's still a little too close to Mass Effect 3 for my comfort. Yeah, well, yes and no. I think that it'll probably be out beforehand. And I don't think this is going to have quite as many hours as Skyrim. And I think that we can potentially have this hopefully done before Mass Effect. Because Mass Effect 3 is coming out when? April? Not March, eh? I, I I forget. I think it's early March. You might be March, damn. If so, we're going to close. Yeah. <laughs> That's a week of holiday. That's what we're going to need a week off of work. <laughs> okay. Biggest news for me, of course, is the what we've been finding out for Diablo 3. We're getting a lot more leaks right now. Some of them kind of confirmed, some of them not, and some of them having to do with the beta. I'm going to let you take this one. All right. So Activision had their big, you know, finances and earnings call where they really talk to their investors about, you know, what kind of uh, income they can expect to have over the coming quarters. And the the big thing we got out of here was that they said the beta for Diablo three will start in quarter three of this year. Now for their fiscal year that expands from July 1st, which is passed up through September 30th. So the clock is really ticking on when we're going to start seeing 
this Diablo 3 beta. Uh, they've said August 1st, there's going to start a press tour uh, going to all the fan sites and whatnot, which is very similar to what we saw with Cataclysm coming up onto their beta. And, well, once you start seeing box arts, it's usually a good indication that something is on the way. So, man, <laughs> it might be like right at the same time as the Old Republic beta. <laughs> It's possible. It is possible. That said, again, I'm I'm looking at this very differently than a lot of other games, and that's because of my experience with Diablo 2. This may not be the same thing. However, if it is, which we've had some indication that it will be, it's so easy to bounce into a Diablo game. You know, you bounce in, you do your level, you can be done or you can go on for hours and hours, but you can be done and then play something else. I find it that it's a game that's so easy to play in addition to other games. And that's one of the things that I'm so looking forward to. So yeah, this, I don't care if this comes out at the same time as the old Republic, I will make time for both. Even <laughs> if it means cutting down a couple of hours sleep. Yeah. I mean, but yeah, you are right. Cause I mean, especially after a couple hours, you just get tired of clicking. Yeah. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. <laughs> But there was some other breaking news that you found as well that may very well be just pure speculation, but it was damn interesting. Well, they have screenshots to go along with it. So there's only so much speculation that they can say. This is all unconfirmed. Uh, I got this from third party website, but I can at least buy into most of what they're saying here. Uh, first of all, tomorrow which would be Monday, which would be before you're listening to this. <laughs> We're probably going to see a new video trailer for Diablo 3 and probably the official announcement for the beginning of beta. Uh, we got a few gameplay bits here uh, about the Demon Hunter, how the Demon Hunter is going to have two separate resources. It's going to have hate and discipline. <laughs> hate is used for offensive spells and will regenerate very quickly like, say, you know, a rogue in World of Warcraft, whereas discipline is used for defensive abilities, but will regenerate very slowly. That's pretty cool. That's awesome. <laughs> all right. Uh, the beta itself is going to have all five classes available as even a hardcore mode. Now, I, this is translated from, I think, German, so bear with me. <laughs> There's going to be a matchmaking system for the game. Don't know if that's beta or overall uh, random groups as well as PVP. They have. There is going to be a shared oh. character stash. Yes. <laughs> if Torchlight can do it, there's no reason why these games can't. And the coolest one for me is when people pull up your profile online, not only are they going to see your character and all its awesome armor, you're going to have a banner. And the banner is going to be a graphical representation of everything you've accomplished in the game, be it PvP, achievements earned, you know, difficulties you've completed the game on hardcore mode and the leaks in there. If you want to look at some of these pictures, like these battle standards can look pretty badass if you put enough time into the game. That is such a cool little element that they've added, of course, assuming it's real, but they've got the screenshots to back it up. So I can't really doubt that one that much. Don't then you get into the. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, just, I'm looking at some other screenshots and those are what are making me drool. <laughs> All right, well, maybe they've updated the thread since I loaded it last. <laughs> Here, I'll put it on the screen so you can see what I mean, and you'll know exactly why I'm drooling. Oh, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I don't know if it actually is a leather-bound book or not. Oh, but... dude. <laughs> the limited edition looks like a leather-bound book. Oh, it will be mine. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> but then there's the big shocker. And again, I have to preface this with unconfirmed. This is pure speculation and rumor that the game will feature its own auction house where players can trade items for in-game currency or real money. I call bullshit. I, I, I initially do want to because that's such a batshit crazy idea, but this kind of stuff happens all the time anyway. I, 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 can, I can see the sense in Blizzard wanting to make it official and to protect you know, the consumers from, from scam and whatnot, as well as getting a cut of the profits. So I, I'm on the fence about this. I, I, it seems so out there and that there's going to be so much backlash that I can see why this is total BS. But I can also see that Activision side of things. Yeah. Oh, no. When I call BS, I uh, I call BS because I don't think that it's something that Blizzard would do regardless of Activision. Is it something that can be done? Of course. Is it something that can be done effectively? Of course. Will it break the game? Oh, you damn right it will in some ways because it will be those who have the money who can afford to buy the best things. That's the one that's going to create the biggest backlash right there as we've seen. And is it something that they could then micromanage a microtransaction a ton of things without it actually being microtransactions and they can make a small fortune oh dude they can but i still can't see blizzard doing this i i really want to believe that this is if not total bs at least a mistranslation because <laughs> like i said this is from german so but man i the thing is I'm is really that yeah, exactly. The thing is, is, OK, regardless of whether or not we think it's BS, let's assume that it's an actual possibility. Would you be happy for it or not? Because in all honesty, I part of me thinks, yeah, I would like it. I mean, I can afford to spend, you know, a few bucks on things here and there. But then I know me <laughs> and I know that <laughs> that few bucks here and there will accrue over time. And then before you know it, your character, you've spent far too much money, actual money on them. And that's something that scares me. I don't want to do that. I want it to be something that I just, you know, buy with in-game gold and shit like that. Well, but you, you have to keep in mind whether this is official or not, it's still going to happen. There's still going to be vast amounts of people buying items for real world money. So if Blizzard can come in and, you know, legitimize it and give both parties protection in the deal, like, look at World of Warcraft. Gold selling is rampant in World of Warcraft, no matter how much Blizzard has tried to stop it. So they might as well legitimize it and get on board with it and at least try to, you know, Make it okay instead of, you know, people getting ripped off, people getting their their accounts stolen, which can still happen with this system. But if Blizzard puts an administrative hand into the exchanges, it'll at least reduce, you know, the asshattery involved with it. It can. It the potential is there. I again, I I look at it as one of those. Would I want it in there or not? And I'm literally on the fence. Yeah, I, it, I, I could go either way. Yeah, so it's definitely going to be an interesting uh, couple of months uh, until the game we can know for ourselves. What I'm not on the fence about, though, is this. <laughs> it will be mine. Okay, and with that, we're going to let you... Sexy. It is 
damn nice. Okay, we're going to let you guys go. Make sure to join us again next week, which is actually only going to be in a few days now. We've got a full show lined up with Joe, who's going to be back. Of course, if you want the show notes for this episode, you can go to ForTheLore.com. And if you want to reach us on Twitter, it is, of course, ForTheLore. And you can reach us on G+, as well as everywhere else. You can email us as well at ForTheLore at gmail.com. And again, we will see you in a couple of days. Don't touch buttons. (laughs) You will break it again.